0: How many of you have ever played the game, have you ever, or ever have you ever? You know, that. Yeah, go ahead and raise your hand. We're going to do a lot of raising of hands here in the next couple minutes, uh, just answering questions. Um, I used to be a youth pastor, and so you can take the youth pastor out of the church, but you can't take the games out of a youth pastor, is kind of what I was thinking about this morning as I was walking in. I, so I want to play a game this morning. I going to play, have you ever, okay? So so we'll start. So it's, it's really simple. You raise your hand if you've ever had a pet, let's say. So have you ever had a pet? Raise your hand. Yeah, lots of people have had pets. Great. Okay. Have you ever been on TV? Oh, more than I thought. There's quite a few. We've got some famous people in the room. That's cool. All right. This one takes a little bit of honesty. Have you ever cried while watching a movie? I'll raise my hand on that one. Yeah. Okay. Good. Lots of honesty. This is great. This is great. Have you ever uh, spoken in front of more than 100 people before? Mm -hmm. Once again, a lot of you guys have. That's awesome. Have you ever missed a flight? (laughs) Yes, we have. in the front row here. Have you ever gotten lost in a foreign country? Oh, just a couple of us. I got lost. This is awesome. i got to tell this story quick. I was in uh, Germany with my family, and we went and visited a castle called Neuschwanstein which is actually the castle that the Walt Disney castles designed after. So it's very familiar. It's very iconic. And we were like, there's two families. There's kind of two groups. And one group thought they had me, and the other one didn't. And the other one, you know, like vice versa. And I totally got lost in a, in a German castle when I was 10 years old. It was great. Have you ever sang karaoke in your living room? It's for you guys right there. <laughs> Have you ever been on a blind date? Yes. Have you ever gotten a tattoo? <laughs> okay. All right. Have you ever won the lottery? Anybody in here won the lottery before? Just not a, We're just not lucky people, I guess. <laughs> have you ever slept out under the stars? No tent. So good. So good. Um, have you ever, let's get a little bit more honest. Have you ever cheated on a test? Mm. <laughs> Lots of honesty in the room. We'll call that honesty. Um, Have you ever failed a class? I've I've got two. I've failed two classes. Okay, now we're going to transition. We're going to keep playing the game. I really, really don't want you to raise your hand for the next ones. It's it's more rhetorical. It's more um, introspective, if you will. Um, Have you ever... Been wasting time on your phone, surfing the web, and then the garage door opens, and you quick jump out of your chair and start doing the dishes. Okay, yeah, there's some nervous chuckles in the room. You know, and 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 it's like you realize that it's it's more important for you to appear like you're busy and fruitful and productive than you act than actually be productive. It's it, you know like that appearance. What is that? You know. Have you ever? found it really important that you're better than her or better than him. And not them and not her and not him, but her or him. You know, just that one person in in particular, for some reason, there's just this not not healthy competition. It's like, I just want to feel better. I want to feel richer. I want to feel skinnier. I want to feel above them. And you're like, what is that? You know? Have you ever heard someone telling a story about something and the next thing you know, you're one-upping their story and you just can't let them have a little one minute of glory? You know, you can't just let them have their moment and you're like, well, you met the mayor, I met the governor, so, you know? What is that? Have you ever had a really bad day at work and you keep your cool all day at work only to come home and just let loose on your family? You know, the people that you love most. And you're like, why did I do that? What is that? Last one. Have you ever had uh, some someone, like, share, like, you hear about someone's failures and you're secretly happy? Ooh, what is that? You know, like, like, like. We've all had times, and maybe, maybe even happened this week, where you came face to face with something in you, something bubbled to the surface, and you're like, where did that come from? I didn't know that was there. What is that? Have you ever had that? What do you do with that? What do you do with those thoughts? I know what I want to do. I want to just push them, shove them back down, be like, hey, let's just, can we just pretend, it's just me, myself, and I anyway, can I just pretend that that didn't happen? That I didn't think that, that I didn't say that, that that I didn't want to be, you know, I I don't want to be that way. What do you do with that? You may not have thought about it this way, but we're going to call those things character flaws or flaws in our character, chinks in our armor. You know, like, like, and, and, and a lot of times we're blindsided by them. We're, we're going through life. Life is going good. We're living in a way that maybe we're proud of, like we're becoming better at something. And then all of a sudden something happens. It's like, it's like a dry heave. And you're, you're like, in, I was thinking about it this week. It's like every once in a while something surfaces. And it's almost like, you know, you open up a cupboard and you find it in, mice have been living in there, not for a little bit of time, but they, like, there's, like, a mice palace in there, and you're, you're like, like, you got a choice then. You got, like, a choice. you just, like, well, I don't use this cupboard that much anyway. and You just, like, close it, or do you open it up and start taking everything out? It's so gross, and it's so, and you just don't want to know. It's kind of like that when those character flaws bubble up. It's kind of like this. I had a friend once. I have, I have two stories of Of two friends, the same story, but one guy was young, one guy was older. The younger guy was, he's like, yes, he he and I were talking, and he's being honest, and he's like, I was sitting, watching television and on my phone at the same time, and I went to set my phone down, and I realized I could set it down on my belly and use my belly as a ledge, and he set it down for a second, he's like, nope. (laughs) Another friend, my older friend, he he was telling me a story, and this is years ago for him, that he was a leader of a nonprofit, and they were going to a groundbreaking ceremony, you know, where they like take the, the, the quintessential picture of somebody, you know, like, like they're going to shovel the whole thing. It's just not true. And it's a golden shovel and stuff like that. And he had the shovel and it was right here by his belt and he looked down and he couldn't see the shovel. Because his belly, had gotten, and it was like this wake-up call for him. He's like, I had a choice. I could either, you know, just pretend that didn't happen or I could, you know make some lifestyle changes and change a little bit. That's what happens when we come to character flaws. It's like, what are we going to do about it? Or, or uh, sometimes our character flaws bubble up in such a way that it's like, you ever see a big log and it looks like a nice log, like maybe one you'd like to burn or you know split to burn or something and you pick it up and it's just full of worms and bugs and squirmy-wormies and ew. See, but the problem is with character flaws, the ew is you (laughs) the you is me the you is we and when we come face to face with those character flaws we have a choice as to what we're going to do about it and 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 there's a part of us that again my knee-jerk reaction is to just like stuff it away pretend it wasn't there because it's it's not fun i don't want to think about my character flaws you know it's not flattering it's not fun and, 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 and here's the irony. Here's the irony of the whole thing. Our character flaws, we're quick to shove them to the side, I think, because why? We don't want people to see them, right? We don't want to be known for certain things. It highlights, I think, one of the biggest fears that you and I have in our lives. And it's the fear of being reduced to our flaws, for people to write us off because of our folly. To just be known for what we're bad at. You know, years ago, I, I, I've used this illustration before, but years ago there, there was a, a, somebody hit the wrong button in Hawaii and sent out a false missile uh, alert to the whole island nation, you know, the whole island state. Everybody was like, hey, take cover, missiles inbound. It was horrible. And there's a guy named Bob Goff that I like to read and follow. And he, he actually reached out to that guy and, and offered him a job. Never heard back from him. But he's like, I don't want that guy to be known by his flaws. Like, that is a fatal error. Like, he obviously got fired. Good, you know, how do you go get, how do you recover from that? See, isn't that our fear? That we're just going to be known as the slacker. We're going to be known as the girl who gossips. We're going to be known as the fill in the blank. What is it for you that you just like, when you come, when you come face to face with it, you're like, I just don't want to be known for that. And that's fair. Because it's not flattering. And it's not fun. And we, we don't want to be remembered for our failures. So that's fair. But what we're going to discover in this series is what we do with our flaws is extremely important what we do in response to our flaws has great consequence for life our life it has huge implications for our lives our happiness and our story how, and, and honestly, shoving them, here's the, here's the irony, is shoving them away is not a good, is not a, a, sh- is not a uh, will not promise we won't be viewed that way, is what we're going to find out. And in fact, in fact, what we're going to find out is a lot of times, if we don't deal with our flaws, ironically, that is how we are remembered. Mm. I don't want that. You don't want that. I don't want that for us. (laughs) This series is called The Dark Side. Isn't that good? The Dark Side. And yes, we will talk about Star Wars and Darth Vader a lot next week, actually. But it's a chance for us to deal with our flaws in character, to look them straight in the eye and say, I'm going to do something about this. And in order to do that, in order to guide our discussion, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do a character study, and instead of doing a character study on somebody who did it right, I want to do it on a a character who did it wrong. And we're going to follow closely a guy named Saul in the Old Testament found in the book of Samuel. And before we dive in and as to the nitty-gritty of Saul, we're going we're gonna to maintain a 30,000-foot view today of Saul. We're not going to talk specifically about the, the things he did. We'll dive into that next week. We'll land the plane next week and go into the details. I think the best thing that we can do today is actually understand the 30,000-foot view of Saul, his life, his context, where the nation of Israel is at, and, and, and largely the book of Samuel. As a whole, I think that's going to be the best way for us to see what happens when you and I don't deal with our flaws. Because what we're going to find is Saul was a guy who was unwilling to face his flaws, and it didn't go well. You can turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel if you want. We're not going to read tons of it today, but it would be helpful as we kind of re- as we kind of do an overall study of the book. First Samuel is one of my favorite. So, so background on on the first first and second Samuel. First and second Samuel is actually, um, it's probably one large book that was broken up into two. And if you've ever read these books, and honestly, my my goal for today, one of my goals for today, is to to set the stage in such a way that you're like, I kind of want to read that this week. I kind of want to dive in, and then with the background understanding that you'll have, it'll be really, you'll find it very intriguing, you'll find it very, you'll, you'll get a lot out of it, I think. So the, when you read, open your Bible, and it says 1 Samuel and Second Samuel, that was actually probably one book, and it was broken into two because of scroll size, that just, it would have been a scroll that would have been too big, and, and um, so they broke it into two books. And so Samuel is is one of the most incredible detailed character studies. The book of Samuel follows three characters. It follows Samuel. Duh. Makes sense, right? It follows Saul. And then it follows David. And those are the three main characters, and they kind of ebb and then flow, ebb and flow throughout the three books. like, Like it starts with Samuel. Goes to Saul, and then David becomes the main character. Um, Here's here's the thing: with we need to understand a little bit of the background. You might be familiar with the nation of Israel. God, uh, Yahweh, saved the nation of Israel from slavery, and then he he uh, um, made a covenant with them. He made a like a, a pact. Or a promise, almost in, in a lot of ways. If you if you've ever read the book of Exodus, there's almost like a marital uh, uh, um, what's flavor to it to this covenant between God and Israel. I will be your God, and you will be my people. There's some almost like vows or I do's in the covenant that God makes with Israel. And he's like, if 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 you become my people, if, if you make me your God. I, I want to give you good things. I want to take you to the promised land. And they're like, that sounds great. Let's do that. We, we sign on. We, we want to enter this covenant with you. And then, like all of us do, you know, we, we say we want to do something, and then we fall back on it. And their, their character flaws come out. And, and honestly, the, the book before Samuel is called the book of Judges. If you really want to get in a bad mood, read that book. I'm not joking, man. I, I was listening to it once driving back from seeing my in-laws. And at the end, I was like, oh my. I, li- I listened to the whole thing just kind of straight through, and it ends on this really horrible story. And it, I was like, I feel icky after re- you, you feel icky after reading Judges. And here's the, here's the thing, and, and, and so, some of you are literally thinking right now, OK, so the, why is that in the Bible? Good question. The reason that that's in the Bible is because it's, the book of Judges is highlighting the character flaws of this nation Israel and the importance for reform, the importance for change. Something, you you come to the end of Judges and you're like, something needs to happen. Something needs to change in the nation of Israel. And what's cool is in the book of Samuel, that begins to happen. In fact, you start to almost like the judges were leaders. They're over the 12 tribes of Israel. So, in the beginning of, of Samuel, the, the tw- uh, Israel is 12 separate tribes. Okay? And then, throughout the, the book of First and Second Samuel, by the end, they're not 12 tribes, they're a unified kingdom. Okay? By the way, all of this right here, even this, this illustration is very similar. I've stumbled onto a resource called The Bible Project. If you are not familiar with it, I'm just starting to, to, to get into it. Holy smokes, is it cool. They do a breakdown of every single book of the Bible kind of like this in like six to eight minutes. Um, and I'm stealing a lot from that today. Um, so the book, of, the, the book of Judges, there are 12 tribes run by Judges, and you're like, man, they need a different leadership structure. In 1 Samuel, they get that, Okay. And by the end of 2 Samuel, they're this unified kingdom. So that's kind of the the general thrust of, like, the the background of the uh, book of Samuel. Let's talk about a little bit of what happens in the book of Samuel and how it leads to to our our man Saul. In the first seven chapters, chapters 1 through 7, they're about Samuel. It starts before he's born, and his mom is named Hannah, and she cannot give birth to she's she's barren she can't have children and so it's a, it's this story of grief that turns to joy and it's beautiful it's really really cool cuz she's faithful throughout and she has uh, somebody who's who's like a, like uh, an antagonist against her who like throws that in her face that she can't have children all the time and she stay she remains faithful through it and to the point where she has a child and she's willing in the end to give that child back to the Lord like Lord you've given me this child I give him back to you and as soon as he was weaned and he could kind of walk around as a probably a little older than a toddler he goes and lives at the temple so that he can become a prophet or a priest she wants she's so grateful she gives Samuel back and here's what's cool is after she becomes pregnant, after she has Samuel, she sings this song, and it's a beautiful song. And the thrust of the song is this, and and this is what's so cool. Here's what's cool about the Bible. If you if you dig into the, into these stories, if you dig into these books, you start to find unbelievable nuggets, treasures, you know, like Easter eggs. It's like. There's, there's symbolism, there's parallelism, there's all these, you know, like, there's juxtaposition, there's all of these different things going on liter- in the literature sense. The Bible is one of the richest books in the world. And, and, and what's cool is, from the very get-go, from the very story, starting with Hannah, the mother of Samuel, this um, this, this theme comes out, and this is our big idea for not only to, today today, Not only for this series, but actually for these books as a whole. This is the theme right here. Go ahead and put that up. Oh, no, I got it. (laughs) I have control. God opposes the proud, but exalts the humble. That is the theme of Hannah's song. Hannah's like, "I, I was humble before the Lord. I had nothing. I could not have a child. And people would lord over the fact that they could have children and I could not. But guess what? The Lord opposes those who are proud. Meaning God is actually against our pride. We'll talk about that here in a second. God opposes the proud, but he exalts the humble. This is so important when it comes to facing our character flaws. And you'll see why here in a second. But right in the very beginning, we see this big idea that God, we learn it through Hannah, that God opposes the proud, but he exalts and he lifts up those who are humble. Those who are with, in, with humility will, will come and kneel before him and say, I'm broken. I have character flaws. There are things that are wrong with me. So we learn that from the very beginning of this story. And then um, what happens next in the story is the uh, the Philistines are like the – they're like they're, – they're like the, the, the ultimate enemy of the Israelites. They do something in, verse, in chapters 4 through 7. That the Israelites do something really dumb in their pride. They take the Ark of the Covenant, which is like in the holy of holies of the temple. This is like the icon of their worship and the icon of their God. And they're like, here's a sweet idea. God protects us. We've, n- we've seen that before. He brought us out of slavery, he brought us to the desert, brought us into the, po- the promised land. He did all these cool things around the Ark of the Covenant. Let's bring that to war with us like a trinket and see what happens. And, and see if that protects us as we go to war with the, the Philistines. And in their pride, they take the Ark of the Covenant to war with the Philistines. And the Philistines clobber them and get the, the Ark of the Covenant and then they take that back they're like sweet let's take that back and let's let's worship our god dorak or something like that with, with their god's trinket and it doesn't go well literally god's like i don't need israel hold my beer i don't need you for this one i'll take this one sends plagues onto the the philistines and the philistines literally are like you can have this back Okay, And what we learn through that, let me find my notes here, what we learn through that is God is no one's trophy, right? Like we can't, and this is important for us, like you can't just be like, well, I prayed about it. God, you need to, because I, I went to church, I gave money, God's like, yeah, I don't play that way. I'm no one's trophy, right? Um, but we also learn that he opposes the proud, that God like legitimately imposes himself and opposes those who in pride both whether that be a foreign nation or his own people like hey guys you messed up so you got clobbered i'm gonna let that happen because you don't do that but god yeah we learn a lot through about pride through that and that's yeah god God, God's no one's trophy he opposes the pride and and he we're reminded here that israel must remain humble that's what we learn through these through through samuel Okay? So let's keep moving. This, now we get to, to Saul in chapters 8 through 15. In 8 through 15, Israel's like, hey, um, Samuel, Samuel's all grown up now, and he, he's like, Samuel, um, everybody else has a king around us, so we want to. I mean, if you've, you need to read this because it's literally, it's that childish. The wording is like, hey, all the other nations have a king. Why don't we? Can we have a king? It's literally like a 12-year-old girl asking for an iPhone. Like, everybody else has one. Why can't I have one? Or it's literally like us, like, you know, everybody else has a newer car. I should get a newer car. Or us, it, like us, you know, they have a second home. Can we have a second home? It, it, it's, they just treat God like a thing. And we, so we want a king. And, and Samuel is fired up. He's like, don't do this. You do not want this. And then he, he there's this litany that he goes through of like, this is what kings ask for. This is what kings demand of you. This is what kings do. You don't you do you like your best things? Because you won't have them when you have a king. The king will come and take your best things. You sure you want this? And they're like, yes we want a king. And and Samuel goes to God. It's a, it's a very touching scene. Between Samuel and God, and, and, and Samuel's like, God, I don't know what to do. And God literally says this. It, it, he's like, Samuel, don't worry about it. It's not you. It's me. They're breaking up with me. It, it's me. They're, they're not rejecting you. They're actually rejecting me. Give them a king. Let them have their way. Let them, let them go. You know, like that's a character flaw on their part, but let them live it out. And that's in verses, that's, that's 8 through 10 all that happens chapters eight through ten and that so that's how we get Saul on the scene and Saul is this he's he's he starts off he's this um he starts out so strong he's tall um let me I keep losing my notes because I'm going back and forth here but he he's he's a tragic figure he bring, begins with a ton of promise He's tall, he's good looking, he's from like a good tribe of Israel, right? He's got kind of all the makings of a king. He looked kingly, he looked regal. Um, But Saul has deep, deep character flaws. And we don't even, you don't really see them at first, because at first he starts rising up like this. And he's just doing great, and he's just kicking butt, and he's doing like he's doing things for God, and he's uniting Israel for the first time. There's these these tribes that are almost warring at times. He brings them together to face the Philistines. God does some amazing mighty things through him. And then we'll dive into the details next week. But there's in, in chapters 13 and 15, he, he does some things really wrong in his pride. He just says, "No, I'm going to do this because I'm all that in a bag of chips." I'm, go- you know, I, I, I know I probably shouldn't, but, and we're going to talk about this next week. We're going to talk about. Here's the thing: good villains. I don't know if you like if you study film or if you like read books and, and you like kind of do character studies. The best villains are actually the they're good guys in their own story. Good the villains, the villains that you and I are, you know, like. Find interesting. It's not they do they don't do bad for bad sake, they do bad for good sake. And that's what Saul does here. Because he doesn't have strong character, he's willing to cross some lines that he shouldn't cross. He's willing to do bad, and ultimately he's doing it for good. He's doing it for Israel. He's doing it so that they might be blessed and prosper and defeat the their enemy. And he, he thinks he's God's you know, spokesman God's person for bringing peace to Israel, but he's doing it in a bad way. Can we all agree how we do things is extremely important? That we can do great things in really bad ways. We can do really good things with a really crappy attitude behind it and really uh, bad reasons for it. That's Saul's story. And Saul... Um, his flaws become his downfall. I want to talk about four main areas, and uh, uh, this will lead to s- Saul's downfall. But put this up on the screen. <sighs> I keep doing that. <laughs> okay, so we call these the four squeezes, and there should be another apostrophe there, but I'm calling these the four squeezes. See, th- there's, there's, there are different things that bring out our true character inside. And this is just, kind of, you know, like this isn't a complete list, but friendship brings out our true character. Students, you're sitting there with your friends, and there's a pizza in front of you, and it gets served up. And, and you know how sometimes there's a pizza gets sliced, and there's one giant piece, and then the rest are all, like, tiny? And you're, like, finding yourself just going in and just grabbing the biggest piece, and your friend's like, bro, come on, man, what's up? You know, like, like friendship. Friendship, when, we're, when we, we start to have friends, we start to have people around us. We start to, like, it's almost like it squeezes us, and then something comes out. Our selfishness comes out, right? Another one would be romance and marriage. The play, I wrote this in my notes, that romance and marriage is the place where it's easiest to be humble at first and the hardest to remain humble throughout. You know, what I mean? when you meet that special someone, you're like, oh, best foot forward right now. We're going to go out. I, I'm getting all dressed up. I got the flowers. I got the things. I make sure they get my good side. You know, like we're not going to talk. About, you, you're just like, you, you want to be better. You want to, you, you stand up taller. Like, like, you know, a good lady does that for a man and probably vice versa. Right? But then you get married and you say, I do. And, well, she's not going to go anywhere. And, and you just kind of all of a sudden starts letting it all hang out, or you like, the, the, and all of a sudden you wonder the romance is gone. You know, like this is just what happens. Like romance squeezes us, and then our true character and our, our flaws come out sometimes, don't they? I just this week, literally, Chrissy brought up something to me, and, sh- and it, it was basically her saying, "Josh, you can be kind of vain around this thing," and I was so indignant. I was like, where do you get off? It's not like you've been married to me for like 20 years and you know me or something like that. Like, I was like, I was like legitimately, I puffed up. I was like, that's not cool. But what do you mean I'm vain? And I'm trying to think of all of these the reasons why I'm not vain. What is that? I'm coming face to face with our character flaws. It, it, marriage will squeeze, it, it squeezes us, right? Let's keep going. Parenting, oh my gosh. Parenting squeezes the living yeah, out of us. Lack of sleep, time, personal space. You know, I wrote this in my notes. What are you like when it's not about you and it won't be for a decade or two? Ha, 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 that's parenting. I remember sitting on the side of the road. We used to live up Squaw Pass right here. And I, there was one day, I don't remember the details, but I remember how I felt. I, I pulled off on the side of the road and I was to go home. And we, we had Jovi. We had little baby Jovi at this time. Just one, one child, okay? And here's the thing. Let, let me give you a little background here. I used to spend like 200 days a year in the outdoors. Like when, in our 20s, I was, I was out there all the time. A lot of it was professionally as a, as a fly fishing guide or as a youth pastor. I just took kids outside all the time. But I, like, I love, like I love that. I almost like prided myself on that. And then I had a kid. And I, 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 I remember thinking on the side of the road that day, I was like, you know what? When I got married, it was kind of like being cut in half in the best way possible. Like, like that's what marriage does is like the two shall become one, right? Which means some of you has to go. I remember thinking when I got married, it was like I got cut, cut in half and it, it, it's, it's restricting in a good way. And then I was like, but and now I had a kid. And it was like, I got cut in half again. And I think we maybe even had Titus on the way. And I was like, I'm going to get cut in half again. I know I'm going to. It's going to feel like that. Why? Because that's what parenting is. Parenting, and, and I honestly think this is God's mercy and God's grace in our lives to get over ourselves. Right? To, to, to realize, it, you know what, Two day, 200 days in the, in the outdoors, is that a great life goal? I don't, maybe it's not. Maybe it's better to pour, here's a, here's a, you don't have a choice, you have to change that diaper and pour yourself into somebody else, that's what, it squeezes, you see how that squeezes, last one, leadership, and this is what got Saul, right, leadership, how do you act when you're in control, you know, how do people, here's another question, how do people feel under your authority? Did they feel energized do they feel whole do they feel complete or do they feel mashed down and unimportant what do you feel when uh, uh, what do what do people feel when you have to make an unpopular decision hashtag covid19 you know just like like 2020 leaders had to make decisions that there was no win did you cut corners do you want to cut corners do you want to be like well i can't really do it my hands are tied because you know you know like how do you make a tough decision and how do the people experience you? What's it like like to be on the other side of you when you're a leader? You see how all of these like, like relationship when we get closer, to people, friendship, romance, parenting, leadership, all of these things squeeze us. What comes out? Is it anger? Is it dishonesty? And that's the thing for for Saul. It was he was he was dishonest. He lacked integrity, and ultimately what was his downfall was his pride he he got confronted twice by samuel again in chapters 13 and 15 confronted and both times he went like this well they did this well you know I, i i mean you didn't come and he starts pointing fingers he starts lying and he starts denying. And ultimately, that is literally the, the, the 13 and 15 is the peak of Saul's leadership, and the rest of it is just history as he goes down, down, down. And then God, during that time, raises up this guy in the background, kind of behind the scenes, this guy named David that nobody knew of, comes rising. And Saul has all sorts of problems with David, and David. And Saul becomes the legitimate villain who won't admit he's wrong, who, who thinks he's God's answer to everything, throwing a spear at a, at a guy who's trying to help him, and ultimately taking, taking him and other men to, to war, um, and, and even his son to war, and they, they all die. And it's honestly like if it, and here's here's what Saul's here's what we learn through Saul Saul's life is is a is like almost like a parable or a warning against pride it's a warning against pride and it's 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 a chance for us to to you know, like as a reader you should you can see here's what we do as a re- reader i like to read myself into david because that was a man after God's own heart I like, he, he just is like a cool guy I'd like to think that I'm kind of like him in some of these ways that in, and, and we do this as readers and this is why we're calling this the dark side because I'm actually encouraging us to read ourselves into the villain to allow ourselves to see you know what, I kind of do that sometimes when I'm a leader and things don't go my way I, I cut corners I'm, not, I'm quick to throw somebody under the bus what is that? And take a good, hard look at it. Because what, we get, what we're afforded through, and this is, this is why I love the Bible, is, yeah, it's beautiful, there's symbolism, there's all these different things. It's honest. It's honest. It, it's, it's, a, it's not afraid to talk about the heroes and the villains, and even when the heroes are the villains. That's David's story. We're not going to get into that, but some of you are familiar with that. And the difference between the heroes and the villains in this story is one word. Humility. It's not, Saul, I personally, Chris and I were just talking about this yesterday. Saul, I think the, the things that Saul did wrong are no worse or better than what David did. In fact, I think some of the things that David did were far worse than what Saul did. And yet David is dubbed a man after God's own heart. Why? One word humility. I want to read this. This is 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Sam, so, so this is after the Lord's rejected Saul, but he's still king, and, and, and the Lord's like, hey, go, go anoint another king. We're going to prepare another king in replacement of Saul. And um, God leads him to this house, uh, to this place. Um, and, and to Jesse's house where David lived. And David's got all these brothers. They're all bigger than him. They're all bad. They, all, they look like kings. For some reason, Samuel's just smitten by kingly-looking dudes like, like oh, that, this must be the guy. Oh, surely Elias is this, is it. And First and, and Samuel sixteen seven says this, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't consider his appearance. Can we just all agree appearances are misleading? Don't consider his appearance or his height. Come on, it, tall makes someone a good king. It is interesting, though, isn't there something about that in the do you, uh, like with presidencies? Like taller men are more likely to become president. Luke, you should run, man, for sure. You got, you got president written all over you. You're kingly, Brad. You know, and we haven't had a bald president since Eisenhower. How about that one? Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at what? The heart. doesn't matter how good we look living our lives, doesn't matter how well we can hide our flaws, it doesn't matter, like, like, if it looks like we have it all together, the reality is, is in the end, what matters most is our heart. We know, you know that, I know that, and yet we're drawn to these things, and yet we're, we, we, our, our character flaws bubble up and we push them away. But God sees it differently. Wouldn't it be so interesting to see the world as God sees the world. To look at people and see what God sees in people, knowing that he doesn't see the, all we can see is the outward appearance if we see someone on the street. But God looks at the heart. And here's what's so sad about Saul's story, and this is really the the lesson that I feel like we learn from him. Saul's folly was this, the best way to ensure that you are remembered by your flaws is to do nothing about them. The best way to ensure that you're remembered by what you've done wrong (laughs) is to do nothing about your flaws. To push them away, to pretend they're not there. And in the end, when you die, the people who love you most will gather around you, and they'll see everything. I, I, I don't understand how that works, but it, it, you guys, if you're old enough to gone to enough funerals, lost someone you've loved that was close to you, you know the truth just kind of comes out. The flaws that were there, that, that yeah, he just kind of struggled with this. He never quite got over that. It's just kind of laying out there in the open. But there's a better way. And this is what's so beautiful. This is James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. It's pretty simple. uh, Like, as horrific as that, that... the the idea of being remembered for our flaws is and it's a fear in our lives this the simple is the, the 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 fix is rather simple just add humility simply stir in a little humility every time you come against your flaws and God will lift you up isn't that great isn't that reassuring as, as, as complex as your issues are, as, as difficult as it is, and, you know, as, and it might be a, a, you know, like if you've got to come clean with something, that's not going to be easy. It's not going to be simple. But a little humility in in these situations goes a long, long way. That's all it takes. That's, that's all that God is asking for, to make a hero out of your story and mine. Humility. It's refreshing. I I, I was refreshed by this this week. So this is how we're going to end today. I got a uh, a test for you. It's the humble test. And you can actually score yourself on this if you'd like. Uh, Scale of 1 to 10. On a scale of 1 to 10, how quick are you to receive criticism? On a scale of 1 to 10, and, and let's put some caveats there. On a scale of 1 to 10, how quick are you to receive criticism from the people that love you? If you want some extra credit, how quick are you to receive criticism from somebody who doesn't love you? (laughs) I think I brought this verse up a couple weeks ago. It's in the the Proverbs. If you rebuke a wise man, he gets wiser still. Are you willing to accept criticism from people that you don't love (laughs) and you're pretty sure they don't love you? You know? But on a scale of 1 to 10, how quick are you to receive criticism? On a scale of 1 to 10, how quick are you to admit that you've done something wrong? You know what? My bad. You know what? I I did that wrong. I I let you down. You know what? In my haste, or I, I was intending to do this, but that's besides the point, I was wrong. Last one. I promise this is the last one because the three is enough of these questions. How much are you willing to give up something for someone else? And this one's not in the text that we were just talking about, but this is at the heart of humility. How, much, how generous are you? How much are you willing to give up your time for someone else? How much are you willing to give up? No, you take that slice of pizza for someone else. How much are you willing to give to others and give to someone else on a scale of 1 to 10? I want you to be thinking about these things. And what I'm going to do is we're going to hang on to this this quiz, this test. Like, take a mental note of where you feel like you fall in this. And we're um, we're going to revisit in a couple weeks. Kind of check back in. Because I honestly think as, as difficult as humility can be for us, it is something that's so important for us that God, um, <laughs> God loves our efforts. When I was 16 years old, I was a horrible driver. I, I like just, I sped everywhere I went, right? And I gotten a couple speeding tickets. And then I drove up to this camp in northern Wisconsin. It's like two or three hours away. And this is the story that, that, that prayer works, okay? It, it, just, it, um, it, it helps us to see that, that prayer really does something. And it was a leadership development camp at like a Bible camp. So they're developing us as leaders. It's not your typical camp. You're going a little bit deeper, and, and they're challenging you to read more and, and journal and do these things, memorize verses. It was, it was like it was one of the best weeks I ever had, but it was like a hard week too And for some reason in the middle of that week, I found myself praying this prayer, Lord, make me more humble.